Amen. God bless you. Good to see you this morning. Let's stand again. I know you just got seated. We stand around here for the reading of God's Word. Amen. And we're going to go to the book of Romans, 13th chapter. We're going to read four verses, and then we'll let you be seated. Romans 13 and 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the saints. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Can you say amen to the reading of the New Testament? <laughs> to God's word, amen. Now Paul is addressing something here. <clears throat> and... Uh, most preachers would have better sense than to deal with this, but I don't. <clears throat> We're titling this today because I've had several questions even lately sent to me. Does God choose our presidents? In some weeks, we'll vote again uh, for the president of the United States. Now, does God choose our presidents or do we choose them? Um, there is a whole lot of folk in the church that has different beliefs when it comes to this subject. Now, some of them use the very text that I just read to declare that all leaders, and they see this as more of a proof text because it makes the statement there in verse 1 that there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that are appointed and those authorities that exist are appointed by God. So they take that as a proof text to say that every leader is appointed by God. And so if you believe that every leader is appointed by God, then that means you believe God chose Hitler. Amen? You can't pick and choose now. Once you decide what you believe, you have to ride it all the way in. Right? Right? Nobody wants to even mention Hitler's name. But he was a leader. So if you believe that all power, all authority exists because God appointed them and put them in, in that place, then you have to be consistent with your theology and believe that God chose Hitler. And the only purpose I can see Hitler rose up for was to destroy God's people, the Jews. Amen? Can't believe that, can you? Or Stalin, or Mussolini. Well, we just sit here all day and name leaders. Nero, when Paul wrote this, was in Roman authority. And uh, he was actually torturing Christians, dipping them in wax, history tells us, and lighting them on fire on stakes in his vineyard. While in a demonic state, he would play his violin as they lit up his vineyard in the night. That's what history tells us. This is kind of, can't believe that God put that guy in position. Amen? And so 
Paul is addressing something here, and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to let you go ahead and be seated. Amen. We're glad you're here. Um, let me just make a few general statements about Romans 13. What Paul is addressing here is not specific uh, leaders. The context, I believe, is Paul is saying that the government is a vehicle to administer justice. Uh, it does not in these verses explicitly say that specific people are appointed by God, but what God is saying, I believe, through the Apostle Paul is that their roles, their positions as an authority to administer justice, that is appointed by God. In other words, God don't want us to be like where it says in the Old Testament, there was no judge in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, that's anarchy, that's chaos. When there is no law, there is no authority, there is no government, people just run amok, they do whatever they want to do to whomever they want to do, how they ever want to do. And God is saying he's not for that. God is saying the civil authority is there to administer justice and... Uh, and so that's what Paul is addressing here. He, uh, he's, he's telling us, number one, that government is an, is an instrument of God, that God has placed this there. To, so he talks about in another, in 1 Timothy, that we may live peaceably. It says our responsibility is no matter who's in charge, in authority, that we're to pray for them. Is that what the New Testament teaches? That we're to pray for those people. Why? Because we want them to do the good that God desires for us. We want them to be uh, administers of that good. So number one, government is an instrument of God. Number two, uh, the function of government. The function of government is to protect and to promote the good that God desires for us and to restrain evil and, if necessary, to have to deal with people that violate the law and violate and begin to, to perpetrate evil. The third thing is we, we got to get this right. Our first and foremost loyalty as a believer is to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to a political party. It's not to a, even to a nation. It's not to anything other than the Lord Jesus. Our first loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. you got to agree with that if you're born again, that he deserves our first loyalty. Our loyalty is to him. And number four, our citizenship is in heaven. That's Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. This world is not our home, not in the condition that it's in presently. Amen? And then lastly, I just want to make this statement, and it's not in a bad way. I, I just wish Christians would be as vocal on Facebook about Jesus as they are about their politician. I just wish they'd post something about Jesus. I wish they'd be as passionate and, and vocal about the Lord Jesus and, and, and share that as much, just even half as much as they're sharing their opinions on their chosen politician. You know, is every leader over nations and countries is their choice? And, and, and so does that mean every leader? Does God choose who's going to be the mayor of Valdosta? Did God, did God choose our, our recent mayor? Did God choose the sheriff? Does God choose the county commissioners? Does it, I mean, so where does it end? Where's the line? Is it if God chooses the president, does he not care about the governors? Does he choose them? I mean, where's the line in the sand? Where, 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 where is that at? 
Now, I want to tell you something. You cannot read this Bible without seeing God's involvement in choosing leaders. Now, I'm talking about leaders like God chose Paul. God specifically chose Paul. He was, he was on a tear murdering Christians, but God put his hand upon him. God chose him and told him, he said, he said this is a man that I've chosen. To the chagrin to the of the church, because Paul was killing Christians and murdering them and having all kind of horrible things, and yet God chose this guy. And they were even fussing back to God about his choice. And God said, I'm going to show him the things he's, you know, that, that he's got to suffer for me. I mean, whereas, in which God didn't want him to suffer, but he knew he would suffer because of all that, that he had done. Even those that were for the killing of Christians, now Paul's going to be for them, and they're going to come after Paul now. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, we don't go there. I'm just giving you a reference. God chose leaders there for Israel. What we primarily see in the Bible is God choosing leaders for Israel, the kings of Israel. Now it says in 1 Samuel that God's original intent was that they would be judged uh, by judges or prophets. And Samuel was the leader of the nation of Israel at that time, the prophet Samuel. And yet the, the, the children of Israel started crying out that they wanted a king just like other nations. They wanted to be just like other nations. And God didn't desire, it wasn't time for them to have a king. But they wouldn't have anything else. They cried out and they wanted a king. Was that a win for democracy? No, because they didn't get to vote one in. They wanted a king, but God chose a king uh, and he chose Saul for them. And before he appointed and set through Samuel, King Saul in office as the first king of Israel, God in 1 Samuel 8 had the prophet Samuel to, to read the fine print, in other words, to give the disclaimer, to tell the Israelites what this king would do to them. He'll take your best land. He'll put your children under servitude. He'll do that. And it was a lot of real bad negative things that he said, the king of it, this king you're wanting, this is what he's going to do to you in the end. It's going to start out good, but he's going to end horribly. And they said, we still want him. We still want a king. And, and, and the scripture talks about in another place that, that the people, that God gave them a king after their heart. After their heart. They got what they wanted. And then, but God, the second king of Israel, King David, God said, I'm going to give you a man after my heart. Now, he's not the guy you would pick and choose because he's not going to look like much. And I'm going to reject all his brothers, and yet I'm going to choose David, this shepherd, to be the shepherd king and a type of priest over Israel. Very unique position David had. And, and so we see God choosing people. And we see God raising up leaders. And we even see God using a, a Persian king in the Old Testament named Cyrus who didn't even know God. And yet God said, you're my shepherd, Cyrus. And God was using this man. He didn't say God chose and appointed and put him as king. But in that position, there was a time that God used him. And he used this Persian king to allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. Not only did, did, did Cyrus help them and give them authority, he gave them the money to do it. And we see Nehemiah going back, and we see them going back and rebuilding Jerusalem. So we see God's involvement in choosing and picking leaders. But does that mean that every specific leader God chooses? Now, one thing you won't ever catch me doing much is even commenting about politics. I, don't, I just don't go there. That's not my job. But God's not aloof to that. God's not unconcerned about what goes on in any nation. God's very concerned about what happens. God says in Proverbs 29 and 2 that when the righteous 
are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. God don't want that. God, God don't want wicked people <clears throat> in authority. And uh, uh, God doesn't place wicked people in power. I any teaching or any belief system, listen, that, that teaches that God somehow uses evil, uh, that's demonic. That's, God, don't, God doesn't have, every good gift comes from the Father above. If it, every good gift comes. Don't get confused on who's doing what. And in fact, the Bible actually clearly says that every leader that raises up, God didn't put them in office. That's in Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. Hosea 8 and 4 says, they set up kings, but not by me. They set up kings, but I didn't choose them. Not by me. He said, they made princes. Princes. I didn't acknowledge them. God said, I didn't have nothing to do with that. God didn't set up and put Hitler in office. God didn't choose him to raise him up to, you know, but there's a weird, sick theology among some because, in other words, this, the root of this belief system that's real rampant in the church, I mean, I've known Christians in my life that are so convinced that God chooses the, the leaders, the presidents, that they don't even vote. They say, what's the point? God's going to choose. But see, if their favorite candidate wins that office, this is God's choice. This was God's choice. This is God's choice. But if their candidate didn't win, that's not God's choice. They're not nearly likely to say that's God's choice if it ain't their guy. See, if God's choosing the president, every president that's ever been elected was God's choice then. Regardless. See how quiet it gets. You have to be consistent with what you believe. This is not a smorgasbord theology. You can't pick and choose what you like when you like it. <clears throat> this, the root of this is Calvinism, which at its root, and this is really still widely taught in most seminaries, that everything's already predestined, predetermined, predecided, even heaven and hell for people. And so God's in control. You know what I was getting there, didn't you? See, the whole root of this thing is that right there. God is in control. And th this has been a kind of a weird kind of a week for me a little bit. Now, you, my brother, <laughs> we've had, it's just a season, ain't it, baby girl? This, this past, everything, everything tore up. I'm cost thousands. I'm, really, I'm not exaggerating. It's like everything. I, did, I, I, I felt myself getting so frustrated. I said, this is, I'm in a season here. Everything's just breaking apart and tearing up. Truck, my truck tore up, put it in the shop. Thing at the house tore up, cost $1,700. I mean, just everything. I'm afraid, afraid to turn on TV, it blew up. <laughs> and then during the week, and I have people from all over, you know, not I'm famous, but, you know, but through social media, people from different states and all over. Send me questions, send me stuff, and a lot of times I just can't get to it because I'm working too. <clears throat> so I had people sending me stuff this week, and buddy, they're coming out of the woodworks now, these doomsday prophets. And, and they send me this stuff. Now, sometimes they send it to me out of sincere desire to, for me to listen to it, watch the video, whatever, and give them feedback. Sometimes I do or don't have time to do that. Um, and I try to 
to, to, you know, to, to watch some of them. But here they come again. And, and they'll be on some national shows. But just because somebody's on Sid Roth don't make what they say right. And I'm not against Sid Roth, but just because he has a guest on there, it seems like the weirder they are, the more they, they're likely to be on his show. I just felt like calling his name. And I have had people in my church, not this one, when I pastored Cornerstone, I've had people that were on that I saw on Sid Roth. And, and their message was, was wonderful. And I've had them in my church, two, two different people. So don't carry me where I'm not going. But just because a guest is on there, just because someone says that they're a prophet or had a dream, that doesn't mean that's going to come to pass. And again, I heard on, on you know, someone said, okay, so now all of a sudden God's kind of woke up and now he's about to start judging everybody. And they actually said he's going to go after pastors, politicians, and I told Jill I forgot the third one. She said maybe it was painters. <laughs> Or could it, <laughs> that's what you said. I said, I was telling her about it. I said, you know, and he said that God was about to start judging pastors and, and prophet, uh, uh, politicians. And I said, there was a third P there. I can't, she said, painters. <laughs> She's getting her tickle box turned over. She'll <clears throat> God's not about to start judging none of that. He has judged the world of sin through Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean God wants people to do it. It grieves his heart. It, the consequences of sin are horrible. Sin can make you sick physically. Sin can kill you. The wages of sin is death. It, 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 the wages of sin of being death works on a saint or a sinner. you got to think about that. But you can involve yourself in sin and suffer consequences, but it doesn't mean that God's getting you. You know, in the scripture in the New Testament where Jesus said and prophesied his own crucifixion, but he said, he said, if I be lifted up, now listen, this is how it reads in your Bible translations, then I will draw all men <clears throat> unto myself. But that's not what Jesus said. And you can study this this afternoon while you're trying to take your nap. The word men is italicized in your King James, New King James Bible. And that means it's not in the original Greek, right? It means it's been added by the translators to help, you know, convey the meaning. But if you look at the verses above that, Jesus is not talking about men. He's talking about the judgment of God, the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And, he's, and, and he's, he's going verse by verse. And then he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to myself. All what? All the judgment of God. People that believe in, in inclusionism, which says everybody's going to heaven, everybody's saved. They use that verse as a proof verse for their doctrine. They say that Jesus said if he was lifted up, if he was put on the cross, he would draw all men to himself. So they say all, it says all men, so they mean all men. That's not what it says. Jesus said if I'm lifted up, all God's wrath, all that wrath and judgment, I will draw it all to myself. And he did in his body. God provided a body for himself, a sacrifice. And, and, and so so, but yet here, as we get closer to the election, so I, I listened to some of it this week. Some of it I couldn't stomach. I had to switch it off. 
that one, of these, one, the, one of these guys that was on this TV program was saying, about the time of the election, there's going to be a lot of, of uh, you know, uh, unrest. Wow. What a prophet. That guy's amazing. <laughs> That's like saying around 12 noon, I'm going to quit preaching and go get something to eat. You think so? You think you think around you think right around the election time there'll be a lot of civil unrest. Okay. Where'd you get your profit card from? CNN? News channels? Sure there's gonna be civil unrest. Sure there will. No matter who wins. Somebody's not gonna like it. And somebody's gonna demonstrate about it. Now this other guy somebody sent me, you know, it was just like I mean, good guy. It was so bad I had to switch him off. I just couldn't even listen to it because I was like I was getting nasty. Just listening. He said it's gonna, there's going to be such anarchy. He said in December that people will not even put up Christmas decorations this year in our country. They ain't going to get to decorate a tree. It's going to be that bad, he said. He said there would be no ships sailing. The seas. There would be no stock markets trading. Dude could be right, but I hope he ain't. That's pretty bad, ain't it? It's going to be something cataclysmic got to happen, shut it down like that. He said that's going to be December. Now, I didn't feel encouraged after I heard his prophecy. I didn't feel hope. I didn't feel lifted up. I didn't feel like God was helping us none. I felt like the devil was winning after listening to him. I felt like, get, you know, get the 30 out six and your pork and beans and hunker down. In fact, he talked about preparing and, and all. God says in the Old Testament that if you want to recognize my prophets, God says this is the real acid test to recognize my prophets. They will extract the precious from the vile. And if, he's, if they extract the precious from the vile, they're my spokesman. In other words, if there is vile things, they will reach in and extract that that is precious. Jesus bought a whole field of dirt just to get the one pearl that was in there. But some people can't see nothing but the dirt. And they can't see the redemptive value of that pearl. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So, you know, God hadn't said, I mean, it's just ridiculous. When God speaks to you, it's going to leave you with hope. There's all, listen, and I believe with all of my heart that God's not done yet. He's not done with you. He's not done with America. He's not done with the world. But yet here they come and, they, you know, people, just, and so I'm just telling you between now and November the 4th, it's going to get worse. I'm just trying to be a good shepherd to you to tell you don't get caught up in all this. Because it's circulating the social media like crazy. And there's a lot of Christians, that they, you know, they like that stuff. They, 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 I don't know, it fuels them somehow or another. They just get excited about all the trouble that's coming, you know. And uh, I, I remember back when, you know, we went from 1999 to the, to the new millennium. And I, listen, I'm not mocking you, man. I don't even know. So just sit there and smile and look straight ahead and I won't even have a clue, okay? So I'm not mocking you for nothing. 
It's wisdom to have some groceries put up and some water to drink. It's wisdom, okay? We get enough tropical storms and hurricanes through here that that's just wisdom to have that. Nothing wrong with having a generator. Nobody's making fun of nobody, okay? But, but you can't live in fear because you're not living if you're in fear. You're existing. And, and, and I remember, you know, that, you know, anybody remember Y2K? Anybody old? You remember that all the planes are going to fall out of the sky? It, I mean, it's, the whole world's coming to an end. Uh, you know, all that's kind of deal. And, you know, and nothing's going to work. And, and, but I had New Year's Eve service that night. I mean, I had, I had, I, I purposely held service that night just because of all that. And I wasn't sure if the lights was going to go out or not. But I, I was still going to be praising where the lights was on or we was in the dark praising. But at midnight, we was going to be praising whatever happened. And there were so many voices and so many people and so much stuff going on and, and people merchandises off. You know, fear sells a lot of products. And man, some of these ministries, they get caught up in this stuff and they start selling stuff and, and talking all this stuff and getting somebody on their program that'll make you scared and then buy this five-gallon bucket of food here, you know. And stuff. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And so we went to church and, and you know, that was probably over, I'd say over half my church didn't even come that night because they were scared. It's okay, I love scared people too. I've been scared a few times. But I wanted to be in the house of the Lord showing I think that's part of responsibility of leadership is that when everybody else is running, you stand in pillars in the house of God, he calls them. To me, you ain't much of a leader if you hide like the rest of them. I don't say what you fear. Courage, Ron read courage. Courage don't mean you're not afraid. It just means you keep doing what you know to do even while you're afraid. It, it, take, it takes courage. And so we, we, we don't know what the, the nation holds in front of us. I mean, the stuff is volatile. You got I mean, I, and I hardly watch any news. I can't, I'm, I'm just sick of it. And I, I don't think that these journalists and most people in news, and that's not to say every single person that's a journalist is a demon. But, 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 but I would say that I don't, I think they've lost touch with America. They don't understand that we ain't listening no more as a whole. We're we not even watching you. We, we don't even got your channel on. We, we watching Andy Griffin. We, we, we watch, listen, I, I work in the Medicare age industry, you know, and I go into so many of these older people's homes, you know, old people like me, and I go into these older people's homes. You know what they got on the TV? Nine out of ten of them's got gun smoke on when I go in. I am serious. They got those channels. That, you know, they got the big valley on. <laughs> and it don't matter what color they are. They, they got, they just watching Something that just is, reminds him of better times, peaceful times, and when TV was, was, be, was better. And I, I'm, I'm, you, know, you know, I just have to ask, you mind if we could turn that down just a little bit more? <laughs> or you could listen to them, you know. But that's what, they, they just don't, I think people's lost touch with that. And, and you know, but, but I, I want to say that a lot of what we're facing is, as the church is rooted in this, statement that God is in control. God's not in control. And I don't know why that Christians can't figure that out. The Bible never says that God is in control. 
And to me, there's no more damaging lie than the belief that God is in control, listen to me now carefully, of everything that happens on planet Earth. It somehow is in his, and here comes the word, sovereign plan. Do you understand the word sovereign is not in the Bible? Now, I'm okay with that. The word Bible's not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But I'm just saying it's not in there. Now, it is in uh, NIV version 303 times, but it's all Old Testament. And they use the word sovereign like the King James uses Lord God. It'll say Lord God. They use sovereign God. But it has no meaning. The church has come up with a totally different definition of what sovereign means. Sovereign means that God's in control of everything that happens on the earth somehow. And we've got that teaching that has milked its way in to the point that that's why you have all this crazy stuff said at people's funerals. Just like the, the little young lady, my precious, the Jones family up there in Eastman. And just a few uh, weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and y'all saw Rusty. In fact, this is the first Sunday since that that Rusty and Elisa hadn't been here. You know, last Sunday we got up from Eastman, Georgia, you know, and I, and I had to drive up there, and it was my privilege to drive up there, but I'm just saying I didn't enjoy going up and preaching and helping preach the funeral of his 19-year-old daughter. But that wasn't God. That wasn't God. God didn't do that. God didn't kill her. And it was not her time to go. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches that you've got to calendar that God's got a calendar and your death day is already circled where'd you get that you, you didn't get that out of the Bible there's a test the, the, the scripture that says Lord teach me to number my days and you know what the church does with that your days are numbered <laughs> that's not what it says it says teach us to make each day count to count our days to make them count to get something accomplished that day. That's all it means. In fact, God's will for your length of life is all in the scripture and it says long days. That's God's plan and desire. But you can shorten that up by doing crazy stuff. You know you can kill yourself. You can use a fork and a spoon to do it the slow way. You step out in front of traffic, you can get involved in parachutes and let some weird guy pack your chute and it won't open. I mean, you, there's a lot of ways that you can attribute and make your day shorter, right? I was a paramedic for 20 years. I never put anybody in the back of the ambulance that said I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> they just didn't say that. They said, I never thought this would happen to me. No, because we don't think about those things. But yeah, does God know when you're going to die? Yeah, because God knows everything. It's like you watching a football game, and you've already recorded it, and you've already watched the game. But you're sitting there with people watching it that haven't, they don't know. You're going to look very prophetic because you already know what's going to happen. Right? God already sees everything. God knows everything because he exists outside of time. You and I are, def are, are, are relegated to time. God's not. God lives in eternity. Okay? So what I want you to understand is that God's in charge. And you've heard me say this. I know some of you have. The Valdosta Police Department are not in control of the city of Valdosta. They are in charge, though. So there, we don't have the absence of authority, 
but they're not in control because if they were in control, there would be no murders today. There would be no child molestations. There would be no rapes. There would be no car accidents. There would be none of that if they was in, in control, but they're not in control. They will respond, but they're not. Does that make sense? Now, God is not a loop. God, but, but why is that? Because the Bible says in Psalms, it, it says the heavens, Psalm 115 and verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth, let's talk about the earth. What did he do with it? He has given it to the children of men. You, you, God's will is not always done on earth, right? That's why he taught us to pray that my will would be done on earth. He said, it's not my will that any should perish, but all should come unto repentance. But their people perish every day. But that is not God's will, and he doesn't want that. But he didn't kid a kid when he gave the earth. That'd be like if I gave you a car, gave you the title, gave you the keys. And now you got the car and you go out and do all kind of crazy stuff with it. Don't blame that on me. I gave it to you. You're the one that run the stop sign with that car. You're the one that, that you understand what I'm saying? God's, God's not in control. See, what, what religion does is it puts God in the driver's seat and us in the passenger seat. And the problem with that is it makes us passive and, 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 and blame everything on God. Uh, and, I, you know, the, the Bible is so clear, uh, you know, and I, man, all these years I've heard people say, well, I got cancer, but God allowed it. God permitted it. He was trying to teach me something. God can't give you cancer because he don't have cancer. Um. What I've told you to hear at funeral. And so here just the other day, and I, and I mean no disrespect, but I was, I, I'm at the funeral with two other preachers, three actually helping preach a 19-year-old's funeral, and everybody but me blamed it on God. They do it in a subtle way, though. One of them said the Lord needed an angel. The other one charged us not to question God, and he told us over and over, God never makes a mistake. He's too good, the man preached, to make a mistake. Now, what does that tell to everybody who was at that funeral with me? That tells them that God did that. And don't, don't question him and don't say nothing about it and just swallow it because God's good and he don't make mistakes. And he knows more than you do, so just shut up there and bury the girl and go on to the house and eat, you know, whatever. Man, people hate God because the preachers are doing that stuff. And I'd hate God too. You roll a little old casket down front that's my kid and tell me God desired to pick a flower for his bouquet table in heaven and took my five-year-old. I'm dropping my Bible in the trash can. I'm going to wave at God with one finger and I'm done with it. And it's not God's fault. It's that preacher's fault that told you that lie. There's nothing more that impugns the name of God than this teaching that everything that happens on planet earth is God's will, God's design, and God's desire. Insurance companies even put in their contracts an act of God. Hurricane comes, wipes out your house and family. It was an act of God. They've got it in their policy. Am I telling the truth? See, that's the mentality of the world. That's not God. This world is nowhere close to the way God designed it to be when he put Adam and Eve on it. It's nowhere close to it. Uh, statements like, you know, that God gave me this disease. Let, let me ask you this. How many diseases did we see Jesus ever gave anybody when he walked around on the planet? 
How many people ever came to Jesus that was sick that he sent them home sick? I'm waiting for y'all to participate here. This is where y'all work with me here. Let's start over. Maybe you didn't know we were started yet. How many people did Jesus come to Jesus for healing, regardless of their faith level, did he send homesick? Thank you. How many people, let me say it this way. How many storms did Jesus bless? None. See him rebuking some. If that storm that comes against you is from God, because God's in charge of the weather, you know, really. Yet Jesus rebuked the storm. He rebuked it because it was demonic in origin. If that storm that was coming across the Sea of Galilee was from Father God, because God's in control, then that means Jesus, the Son of God, was rebuking his Father's will. And that means a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Another question, why did Jesus ever raise anybody from the dead? Because if you die, whenever you die, regardless of your age, don't question God. It was just your time to go. We don't understand it. It's a mystery. So you ain't supposed to bother with it. But yet here comes Jesus and he raises people from the dead and restores them back on planet earth with a life. Now why would he do that? If when people die, it's always God's will somehow. Because it's not God's will. In fact, in the beginning, it wasn't God's will for people to die at all. And the Bible says the last enemy that will be destroyed will be death. God does not want the misery and the, all that that comes with death. It's not his design. The Bible said sin entered the world and then death came through sin. Is that right? Is that what the Bible says? So we've got to stop blaming God for stuff that he's not responsible for. And we've got to stop this theology that teaches people that God is the reason that this one, this happened, their loved one died. Or this. God didn't take them from them. They made bad decisions. Sometimes. Sometimes they just got sick. They just died. But don't get up at the funeral and say, God did it. That, you, you don't understand. If you're sitting there just a bystander, I mean, you can kind of swallow it. But when you're sitting there looking at those parents, and how do you pastor that? How do you go up, how do you go next Sunday and get up and say, God's good? How do you tell them to keep talking to that God that took their kid from them? How, how, do, you, how do you deal with all that? When I first started out as a Christian, you know, I believed all that same stuff that a lot of people believe because that's what we were preached and taught. And today it just breaks my heart. And that's why I had to sit there at that funeral just a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago. I just had to bite my teeth, man, while these other folks are talking. And then I got to come up behind that. And you can, it just don't feel, but all I said is listen, you know, love the family. The Holy Spirit, we don't have to ask him to do what his name is. He will comfort. 
those that mourn. But I said, God's not in control. And everything that happens on this planet is not God's will. I said, that's what you got to leave here remembering. Now, that went down like a rat sandwich. Because they had just got through getting told by other preachers, don't question God. God, don't make a mistake. God's too wise. That's, that's the days I love my job. Not really. One of the hardest positions you can ever be placed in as a, as a man or a woman is to have to stand in a, in, a, in a pulpit at that occasion, at that moment when tragedy struck a family. What are you going to say? Just don't impugn God in it. Don't tie God up in it. In fact, those statements, and I'm not saying they're, they're diabolically a plan. They're just people speaking out of ignorance. Um, this is what the Bible never says God's in control. I'm almost done. But it does say stuff like this. In, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, I'm going to read the New International Version, and I'll tell you what the New King James Version says. But it says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world, listen, is under the control of the evil one. This is what your Bible says. The Bible says we know that the whole world is under control of the devil. The, the New King James says under the sway of the evil one. And so much of the world is under the influence of evil. Uh, it, it, it remains captive to what the New Testament refers to as the power of darkness. Satan is called the prince and the power of the air. And so, yeah, absolutely, Satan was defeated and he was disarmed at the cross. But he, listen, he still has sway, influence, wherever people believe his lies. And when they yield to those lies and they believe his lies, then, then if you believe the lie, you empower the liar. Satan has no authority or power in your life, in anyone's life, actually, unless they believe the lie. That's why he came to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he didn't come in there throwing punches. He didn't come in there to do anything because he couldn't do anything. What he had to do was get the power. And who had the power on earth? Adam and Eve had it. God gave it to them. God gave them the keys. God gave them the earth. It was theirs. They were to steward it. They were to keep it. They were to guard it. They were to protect it. But they believed his lie. And when they believed his lie, then the Satan got their power. You understand that if you understood this, the only power and authority that Satan operates under today is the authority that Adam gave him. Do you understand that when you're the sheriff and you get kicked out of office, you don't get to be the sheriff no more? You can keep your badge, I guess, and you can act like you're the sheriff, and you might even can convince some people that you are the sheriff and get them to do what you say. But you ain't sheriff no more, dude. You got kicked out of office. I remember reading that in the paper. You got put out. So when you got put out, you lost your authority and your power to be sheriff. I don't know if y'all tracking me. But when Satan got kicked out of heaven, out of his position, not only did he physically get removed, but his authority and power, which he had there, got removed. So he's not some super diabolical, you know, just supernatural, you know, you know, doing all that deal. See, you got way too big a devil and way too small of a God. This has never been a contest between God and the devil, ever. God's never fought the devil. He, didn't, he don't have to. He just said, 
get out of here. That's the end of that. You understand at the end of this thing, God's going to send one angel to grab Lucifer and throw him in a pit. One. Not an army. Not an army. Just one angel. Ain't even got a name. Just go get him and throw him in the pit. <laughs> Is that in the book or not? Just one angel. I got this. He goes gets the, this ruler of darkness. <laughs> I mean, okay, locked him up. Okay, what else? Wait, wait, you know. But see, I, that ain't how I was raised in church. I was raised that God's right here, Satan's right here, and they're duking it out. And then we got just enough power if we keep praying hard enough to overcome. You believe this lie? You empower the liar. What kind of authority does Satan have in our lives if you believe this lie? You empower the liar. That's all Satan's got is talk, is lies. See, remember when the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Satan said to Jesus, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their authority and their splendor in a moment of time. And this is what Satan said to Jesus. He said, see all this, all these kingdoms of the world, I will give to you. If you but will fall down and worship me, for they, have, for they were delivered to me, I can give them to whomever I wish. When did that delivery happen? In the garden, when, when Adam and Eve believed the lie of the enemy, it, then the delivery happened. Then now the keys of the kingdom went to Satan. Now the authority that Adam walked in, now Satan has. Now that power that Adam had, now Satan has. You, are you with me? But when Jesus came, he didn't fall for it. And he didn't fall to it. And he took back the keys. Keys represent authority. He took back the keys and the authority and the power. And what did he do with it? He gave it to his church. Gave it to you. You have it now. And I have it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so the Bible, your Bible says that Satan, this whole world lies under his control, his influence. He's the evil one. And, and, and uh, the, the problem with thinking that God is in control of everything, it, it makes us passive in our whole view of, of theology. Now, it was not God's will for Adam to eat the forbidden fruit of the tree, right? But he ate it anyway, didn't he? It was not God's will that the Bible says any should perish, but has anybody ever perished? Sure they have. God commands in Acts 17 and 30 for people everywhere, all people, to repent, but yet many don't. See, you don't have to read but just a few chapters in the Bible to realize that even though God is almighty, God is all-powerful, God is supreme, he does not always get his will accomplished on earth like he wants it. That's because he gave it to men. Now, God wants it on earth like it is in heaven, but in heaven, God's will is unobstructed, unhindered, right? And, and you, just, you just have to understand that. Now, now, if you believe that God is the cause of your problems, you're going to have a real hard time worshiping him and serving him and living for him. And especially, God forbid, when those things come in your life that just make it tough. I mean, you understand, just going through a week like we, we were talking about, and I know many of you, like he said, church this side, yeah, man, a lot of you had stuff tear up this week because we're, we just, this ain't heaven. And sometimes, you know, but when all that started happening, it was like, you know, $1,700 here and this, you know, I mean, it was just, money was just like money, it wasn't money cometh, money goeth. Felt like somebody popped the plug in the bathtub and the water started draining on me this week. And, and, but, you know, but I did have enough sense to stop when I realized, because this is just like it was just unusually problems, just unusual problems. Uh, 
And, and so, I, you know, I'm just by myself, you know, and I, and I just said out loud, I just said, you know, Satan, I rebuke you from devouring my finances. Now, I, I come against you in the name of the Lord. I command you to desist and stop your maneuvers against my home and against my, my stuff, against my finances. And, and, and I did, I, you know, and I mean, that's what I believe. That's why I said that out in my truck by myself. I mean, I, I, I just, but see, but if you believe God's in control, let me ask you, if you believe God's in control of everything and somehow it's all God's will, why do you go to the doctor when you get sick? Why don't you just stay at the house and enjoy it? Learn all you can. <laughs> they don't like that, Howard. I mean, if you're, if you're one of those people that said ultimately everything that happens is God's will, and then here's how the Christians kind of, this is how they massage it. Well, I'm not saying it's his will, but he allowed it. Oh, that's different. That's the same thing. You take your little child's hand and you put it on the hot eye of the stove and you burn them. That's, they're going to lock you up for that. You, you, you take the same child and you allow them to do it to themselves. They're still going to lock you up for that. Because you allowed it. You mean you allowed this child to do that? Yes, I didn't put their hand on there, but I allowed it to happen because I wanted to teach them a lesson. Oh. Okay. That's going to be your next move. <laughs> See, you get an illustrated sermon here. <laughs> Don't play them games. In your head, God allowed it. God permitted it. This and that. Just don't do that. Okay, here we go. We, we're getting close to an end here. God, good. Devil, bad. Cancer, not from God. Life and blessing, good. Well, what about in the verse about Joseph about what the devil meant for harm, God meant for good? God wasn't doing that to him. But God has the ability to win with any hand he's dealt. At the end of your tragic crashing of your life, because you're driving it. See, if God was in control, the car would have never crashed. But he's not. You are. That's why your life got all crashed. But when, when you do crash it, if you have crashed it, if you just simply hand God. See, God, God says in the, in the Old Testament, it says the plans of a man, that, that's not what's going to get it done. I'm paraphrasing. But God's will is what he desires. And so we, we were created to be dependent upon the will of the, the Lord for our lives and to seek God and to be dependent upon God and acknowledge God and for God to be more than just the, the ticket to, to, to heaven but be a God who's with us every day who directs us and guides us and orders our footsteps and, and we yield to him. And we just, we, and, and that's my heart's desire, just to yield myself. You know, and, and I can't even say, I mean, God's not in control of my life. I'm not a robot. And if God was in control of my life, there's a lot of decisions that I have made in my life that wasn't God's will. I can see it more clearly now looking back on it than I did maybe at the moment. And I've done things and chosen things and, and you know, that just wasn't, 
wasn't God. That's called God. I'm not a robot. You understand if God just wanted somebody to be, God make robots. But you got a free choice and a, and a free will. And, 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 and listen, we, we got to get away. The Bible says, James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourself to God. That's, your, that's something you do. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now listen, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. This verse makes it so clear that there are some things that are from God and there are some things that are from the devil. And what we got to do is we got to submit to the things that are of God and we got to resist the things that are of the devil. And, and, and the word resist means to actively fight against it. So, what, you know, we can't sit around and go whatever will be, will be. I mean, that, that, you, just, you just can't, that, that, that's not it. Uh, Acts 10, 38 says that how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. God wasn't making these folks sick. The devil was doing that. And Jesus went around to undo that. Uh, Jesus, in Galatians 3.13, he bore the curse for us. Uh, the Lord would no more put sickness on a New Testament believer than he would cause us to commit sin. God, God just wasn't doing that. And I want to tell you something. The great, one of the greatest things that I ever came into of knowledge is knowing that God is not the author of my pain or my problems. That, that's, to me, that's probably the most important revelation that I ever have received since serving him. And so any problem in my life uh, uh, that are from the devil, now listen to me, they are either, they're either up from the devil, he's attacking in some way, or they are my own making, or they're just the results of us living uh, our life on a fallen planet. This is not heaven. M my heavenly father has never done anything to me to harm me just for the sake of harming me. It, it never, he never will. And now I know that. And I would like to say that I've known that for 50 years, but I haven't. I haven't. And, and, and even right at over 10 years, 11 years ago now, I still, you can fall back in these holes. And so 11 years ago, when I mentioned the other day and Jennifer was telling me, you need to tell them all. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm giving you an example. Our house, had we've been trying to sell our home for six, for six years. And um, it just didn't happen. And I remember I wanted it to happen. I wanted it to ha happen quick. <laughs> Who don't? But it just didn't. Just drug on. And, and not only did it not happen when I wanted it, but it was costing me financially for it not to happen. And, and it, it, was a, it was a financial weight to me. And I just couldn't see how anything good was coming out of that. And then, and then uh, you know, we, we, this guy was going to buy, and it was a done deal, and then that fell through. And we kind of weathered that one okay. And a year or so goes along, and, this time, I'm already folding up the boxes, you know, putting them together to pack up. And it fell through again. And I felt like we were just being beat up as a husband and wife and financially and a lot of, and, and I didn't see any redemption. I mean, I, I just didn't see, it was just, it, but somehow in my still head 11 years ago, I thought God was somehow involved in that. And, and it made me feel towards God anger and resentment and, you're not good because 
I told him that I'm a dad, and I know how much I love my kids and my grandbabies, and if I had the power, the money, and the authority to help them, and I saw them hurting as bad as I'm hurting, I'd help them. Best I can tell you, you ain't helping me at all. And it made me feel anger towards him. You know what the root of that? That was my dumb belief system. And that was decades and decades of people telling me that God's behind everything that happens. And it was really over 11 years ago when I got to that point of pain, personal pain. And I'm not proud of this. I'm just trying to tell you. I have people ask me, where did you come to the revelation of grace? This, this is kind of it. But I got so angry with God. And I told God just what I thought about him in th those moments. And I used that. I, I, basically what I was saying, if you listen to what I just said, I was telling God that I'm better than him. <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm more benevolent than he is. Because I told God that I love my kids. And I was actually telling God that I love my kids more than he loved me. That's what I was really saying. But I, I didn't say it that way. But I just told God, you know, I, I, mean, I didn't like God at all right at that moment. And it is such a, be a bad position to be a preacher and not like God. Because you kind of work for the guy. And you have to come every Sunday and brag on him. And can you imagine trying to brag on him when you don't like him? That's called hypocrite. And I would honestly say to you, for a few months of Sundays, that was one of my personal battles. I felt like a hypocrite. I'm honest. You can find other preachers that won't have this problem as I got, but I'm just an honest dude, man. And I just, I, I felt like a hypocrite. In my heart, in my own wrestling, I felt like a hypocrite. Because I felt like I would come, and even through the worst of storms, I would tell you God's good, God's going to bring you through, and all that. But then I would go home, and the reality was I didn't feel like it, none of that was working for me. And that was a very confusing time, and my wife remembers it. And it was just a confusing time. But at the end of the day, I did what always works. I pushed through the flesh and went and talked to Papa. And I got to it. In those days where I lived, I had a prayer cabin. I had a cabin we built for just for a place to go pray. And I went to that prayer cabin. And I just told God, I said, God, I'm not like he don't know it. But I said, I'm, 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 in, I'm in a mess here. I was crying. It was real, man. Pain was real. I said, I need some help. I've been preaching for you all these decades, and I still got to be screwed up. Because either you good or you ain't. And you ain't good sometimes. You're good all the time. And I don't know what in the world's going on in my life, what's happening right here. But I need you to help me. He will always do it. The Holy Spirit's called your helper. And God began to just slowly, over time, to unveil what was, had been there the whole time. His revelation of, of grace. Of my righteousness that was a gift. I wasn't earning any of this. No brownie points here. All Jesus' account and works were attributed to my account. And that God loved me. And you ain't in heaven yet. And everything's not. God lined up some things. And the part that Jennifer told me the other day. She said, don't forget. And if I get it wrong, holler it out. And she was our real estate uh, agent. I love, I love her. You know, I had people tell me, you need to, you need to change to somebody else. Oh, well, that's magic. All of a sudden, I said, no, I'm staying with her. And back in those days, I had never met her. I remember I just opened up the Valdosta Times, and I was looking at the realty page, 
And I just picked her out. And I said, I believe I'll call that lady right there. I just felt to call her. And I remember when she came to my house, she said, I know you. And she told me, she said, I heard you preach at such and such and whatever. And, and anyway, and then she told me she went to this church. It was known as Southland then. And I knew I'd picked the right person. What that proves to you is that God's got favor on her life because I was drawn to her. God got favor on my life because I got connected with a godly woman that would help me. And six years later, I had to wait for the first Baptist pastor to get out of Dodge. Because <laughs> the first Baptist pastor moved out my house so I could move in my house that I live in now. And he also sent a man who I believe resided in Arizona, was it Arizona or wherever, out west, that he paid cash for my house sight unseen as far as physically saw it on the internet. And the first time he physically walked there, he owned it. I was like, get my stuff out. God, God's working on our behalf. And, and, and see, I was mad because it took six years. But God's not in control of the earth, but God is using things and positioning and influencing people on my behalf. If God was in control of the earth, he would make every sinner immediately get saved. But he's not forcing. God doesn't have people getting saved with a spear in their back. But the Father leads them and draws them with cords of love and reveals himself to them. And you got to understand, and me and you got to, we, we got to put on our, like they say, the big boy britches now. This ain't heaven. And we got to stop being throwing our suckers in the ground and acting like God's got to do it when I say it. But God's working things out in our lives, and we don't understand it. And, 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 and I'm not known as a, really as a patient man. I can be very impatient. I don't, you know, I don't, I mean, let's get it done. But that, but God's not, let's get it done. But it took six years. But God was for me the whole six years. And you know what? I didn't go without food. I didn't go without shelter. And, and nobody come took nothing. God was still providing all those times. And, you know, in my plan, I had it figured out how to, God could have done it better. But God's not working off my plan. It's the will of the Lord that prevails. And see, when you pray and try to get God to bless your will, you're going to have a tough time with that. But when you pray and yield yourself to the will of the Lord, you're going to have a great time with that. Because that's where you're going to be the happiest anyway, is in the will of the Lord and walking in his direction and in his sight. You receive that today? Stand to your feet. Amen. God bless you. And listen, don't let any people scare you with all this doomsday stuff. I'm still planning on decorating for Christmas this year. I don't care what that guy said. I really believe the best days of the church are ahead of us, not behind us. That's not just a glib tongue cliche. I really believe that. I believe that the Bible teaches that God's kingdom is ever increasing. It's not going through a recession. I believe that the principles of God is that he saves the best wine for last. I believe that his principle is that the glory of the latter is always greater than the glory of the former. And I can just name scripture after scripture where it seems to me to lead clearly that this is how God is. And I believe when the church does leave this planet that we will have left a, a, a clear witness to the kingdom and the power of, of God's Christ on this earth. That they will see the signs and wonders and miracles and the things that, 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 that many have seen but I don't believe that we got to point back only to the book of Acts. I believe we can point to today. And, and the scripture that says, Lord, renew your works again in our day, in the day that we're standing in. Let us see and be instruments of those things in our time. 
And so we, we, we just have, we, we can't lose heart and we can't lose hope. And, and God's got a plan for America. Sure he does. And, and, and whoever is in office, we're to pray for them. We're to pray for them. Why? So that they will do the good that God's trying to get into their heart and lead them and influence them and their decisions will be godly and good and so that we may live peaceable lives, that we would enjoy life and have it abundantly. God's, what, that's, that's God's heart. And anything that doesn't produce that, that's not God. And then these guys want to come along and try to say God's judging America for his sins and God's doing this and God's allowing. And, you know, and I was listening and I just happened to be one of the peas that the guy said God was after, pastors. God, all of a sudden, I got mad at pastors and politicians and painters. <laughs> you said it. I don't. God's not mad at painters. Painters, you're good. You're good. You know, there's a reason though a lot of painters drink. Though I'm just saying. Anyway, listen. I'm sitting there listening to this. Now God's supposed to get me. And do you know what a couple of them said? You know what they attacked in their warnings of judgment? Grace preachers. That was the little addendum that they put in there. These preachers that are preaching a false grace message, God's about to judge. If that's the case, all the rest of them been dead a long time ago because that's the false grace message, that grace plus works equals heaven. No, grace and grace alone, what Paul preached. Amazing grace, saved by grace, through faith. That's what it is. Why is the enemy attacking the grace message so strong? Because this is the grace of God that leads men to the face of God. It leads men to their father. It tells them that God's not angry with you. God's forgiving you. And God wants you to put your faith in the work of Jesus on the cross and not on the works of men on the earth. To look to a real relationship and not a religion. Amen. Amen. Don't get caught up in this stuff between now and the election. Does God choose leaders? Yeah. But you know who's going to win the presidential election this year? Whoever gets the most votes. And it's really bad for a Christian. I'm not saying you got some spiritual duty. I won't even go that far. But you sure have a civil duty to vote. And to vote the heart of God. Because you're his ambassador. You're his representative. You're not to vote based on political parties, what mom and them are doing, what your friends are doing. You're, 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 you're God's ambassador. You're to represent his heart. His heart on this earth. Show forth his will. Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. God hates sin. Just because grace has come doesn't mean God. God hates sin. Just like I hate cancer. You ever seen your loved ones taken from you with that mess? It'll make you hate it. I hate that disease. I hate the pain that it causes and the fear it causes. And I hate it. I hate it. I saw it take my granddaddy out when I was 14 years old. He was my hero. I hate cancer. I always have. But that's not from God. Now, when they buried my granddaddy, the preachers told us that God took him. I remember that 14-year-old standing there, tears down my face, and they told me that God wanted him in heaven and that God took him. And he wasn't but 62 years old. I'll be that in one more year. I plan to be around a little while longer than that. 
It's not my time to go. I got grand youngins to raise and marry off. My kids need help. I can tell they don't know what they're doing with these kids. <laughs> they need me. They need some wisdom up in here. <laughs> I done screwed them up. I'm going to try to make it right with my grandbabies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ooh, I got to quit. I don't got the flesh. <laughs> oh, Lord. Hey, I can make myself laugh. Glory to God. That's good. Man, we love you guys. I want to pray for you and then uh, let you go. Don't get caught up in all this stuff. Stay focused on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Pray for our nation. Pray that all this civil unrest, all these things that are destructive and violent, all that stuff won't. You know, even this weekend in our town, people were just scared to death by some things that were in the news Saturday. People say, I won't even come back to Valdosta on Saturday, you know, and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, people are afraid. There's no doubt. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of confusion and fear. If there's ever a time, man, that we all need God, we need him now, right? As a nation, we need him. As a church, we need him. So we love you guys. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you that you are in charge. And you've given us the control to yield our free will to you, to your spirit. I pray for this nation. I pray for our president. I pray for all those senators and congressmen and all those in leadership that we may live a peaceable life. I pray that they would be instruments of your heart, your good. They would protect, prosper the good in this land. That this truly will be one nation again instead of many nations, but one nation under God, invincible. I pray that. That's what it was founded on, and I pray that, that we would be under that one nation, one citizenship. One Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for, as the elections draw near, and I pray that the prophets of God, because there are prophets, I pray they speak the word of the Lord and give us ears to hear what the Spirit saith. But God, silence the mouth and the lions of them that are roaring false lies and impugning your name and your character and your goodness and trying to make people believe that you are an angry, vengeful, wrathful God. Lord, please let them see your face. Let them see the eyes of grace that Noah saw. For Noah found that grace in the eyes of the Lord. I pray that for this nation. I pray that for this country and this world. We do that in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you. We love you guys.